Being an entrepreneur can be lonely. That's why I joined the Bra Network. That's the Business Relationships Alliance. Just like a good bra, the Bra Network lifts, gathers, and connects you to other like-minded entrepreneurial women with the knowledge that when we work together, we rise together. For me, the Bra Network provides the community, mentorship, collaboration, and empowerment I was looking for. From business, marketing, and finance courses to curated events to weekly Zoom meetups, the Bra Network works to advance women across the country. If you haven't joined, now's the time. Use your special code, WARRIOR, for your discount and join today at bra-network.com. That's bra-network.com. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Oh my gosh, I kind of am fangirling over who's on the podcast today. I had read her book and I loved it. She had even told me the idea of this book, and I was ready to read this book. <laughs> but really, the reason I have her on is because she wrote this book and then ended up writing her life. I have often felt that women sometimes call to them, bring to them the lessons, the stories, the narratives they need to learn the most. I'll never forget the time I was at a women's conference in Idaho. And something came over me. All these years, I was running this warrior woman, warrior mom community. And it occurred to me that was something I was living into that I needed myself. I needed to know that people were out there, that women were just like me, going through things just like me. Moms were going through things just like me. And I needed someone to tell the truth about it. I needed that connection. And so I created a community around that. My guest today has created a community of her own and joined a community. I think you're going to love this interview. We go over some interesting, interesting topics, and you'll never know where we're going to go. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Share it if you like it. And remember to leave us a five-star written review. You know what that does? That allows us to bring more shows to you. Thank you for listening, Warrior Women. Let's get into it. But first, need connection, accountability, support as you explore the next level version of you? Give yourself a real gift this year, the gift of time. The Warrior Women Mastermind is starting again in January, a curated group of six amazing women in a safe, collaborative setting. Think you don't have enough time? The money? Wrong. Ask yourself if you're worth three hours a month and $25 a day. The biggest discovery some of the women who sign up for my mastermind figure out is they have so much in common with other women and that they have traded their worth for a to-do list. Set up your interview call with me by going to lizswadek.com. That's L-I-Z-S-V-A-T-E-K.com. Space is limited and will sell out fast. Don't miss this opportunity 
to put yourself first. All right, everybody. Today on the show, Lauren McBrayer. She is the author of four novels, including Like a House on Fire, one of the Washington Post's 10 noteworthy books for April, Good Housekeeping's 20 books to add to your summer 2022, which I did, and New York Post's Best New Books to Read and the July 2022 Bellatrist Book Club Selection. A graduate of Yale with a law degree from Berkeley, Lauren is also the head of business affairs and strategic planning at an entertainment company and a mom of three. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I, you know, I am in love with this book. I have, I'm having a moment with this damn book. We met at a birthday hike <laughs> for our friend, Suzanne Watson, who has also been on this pod, podcast. You told me you were writing this book. I don't know that then you knew what it was called, but you told me you were writing this book and the what the premise was. And I was like, I want to read this book. And you were like, really? And I was like, yes, I do want to read this. So I'm so glad you, first of all, finished it, put it out there. Thank you for doing that. Yay for artists. Before we get to that, though, I, and before we kind of go into the whole like a house of fire thing that is in the world right now, tell me about your journey as a writer. I'm so I, you're my first writer on the podcast. Like people have written books and things, but you're like a writer to me. Like, you know, that's like your gig. So tell me, what was your what's been your journey as a writer? Because I know you were writing different books before this. Yes, very different books. Like you said, I've written four total, but the first three are all young adult novels. I published the last one, came out in 2017. And those books are really different. I mean, A, because they're young adult, but B, sort of, I wrote them differently. The They're young female protagonists, and I'm very proud of those books and those characters, but they're very kind of straight ahead in terms of like, they aren't, there's not a lot of black and white. There's like a heroine on a journey. She encounters obstacles. She succeeds. Like their stories of empowerment for young women. I spoke at high schools. I spoke at middle schools. You know, that was the journey of me as a writer. Like that was the community I was in. Those were the books I was writing. When the third one came out, I was very aware that I had not another young adult book in me. I was like, and wow, like I, the voice, I'm like, I don't suddenly my YA voice was gone. I don't know. It was just like, I, I'm not going to write anymore. And honestly, I knew I would continue to write, but I'm not sure I thought I'd write another novel because I writing women's literary fiction, I now see had always been intimidating because I was like, what if I write a crappy book? I like, I don't want to write a crappy book. I want to write something beautiful and powerful and meaningful. And I didn't like have a story in me. And so two years later, probably three months before I met you in the spring of 2019, I was on a girl's weekend with a bunch of women I didn't know very well. And I took a nap by the pool and woke up with Merritt and Jane, the two characters from like a house on fire, like in my head. And they were like, hello, listen to us. Here's what's happening. We're two women. We have this friendship. We're going to like fall in love with each other. And at the time I was like, oh, this is like real fiction. This is nothing to do with my life. This is like a reach. This will be challenging because like, I'm not gay. And, you know, I've never been in love with a woman. Like, this is interesting. So I just followed the thread to write it. And the experience was so different than my other books, which were like very heavily plotted. I knew where they were going. I knew kind of the beats I wanted to hit. This novel, I was like, 
an observer. <laughs> You're basically I, I, just writing down what they say. Totally. I'm like channeling it. I mean, little did I know I was just an observer to my own self subconscious, which yes. we'll probably get to, but going to it get took that. a while. But it's funny that hike that you and I were on, I remember sitting with you. We met, I was telling you about the book. And I sensed this in the moment. And then our you know mutual friend Suzanne has since confirmed. Like you sort of knew what this book was in that moment. You were like, oh, I knew it was your life. This woman's on a journey. Like I was like, this is her life. She's so funny that she thinks this is her life. This is the coach in me, right? I have women tell me things all the time. I'm always seeing like, what's the honesty behind the honesty? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the honesty behind the honesty? Because the people will tell me all sorts of things. Oh, I can't, I can't do that. Oh, you can't. (laughs) Or like, oh, I would never do that. I'm like, oh, you would never tell me. Oh, tell me more. Because there's always... You know, and I used to say those things and I still do about certain things. And I'm always like, oh, what's that about? That's so interesting. So when you were telling me this and telling me kind of more about your life too, I was like, oh, she's literally writing her life and doesn't like, doesn't totally know it yet, but she's writing her life. And Suzanne was like, really? You you think? And I was like, yes. And (laughs) And I was like, I can't wait to see what happens in this book and her life. (laughs) We really connected, which was so nice, but let's talk, let's go there. Five years ago, you say you were doing a really great job at looking like you were having it all. The reality was you were incredibly lonely in your marriage and wrestling with the external expectations to make it work at all costs. So tell me about that time. And first of all, is this not such a common thing for women? I can't even tell you. Tell me about that time and how it led to writing the book. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking you know, preparing to talk to you, thinking about these external expectations. And I realized that for me, it there's like a nuance there. It's not really the external expectations that were driving me. It was actually the internalized story that I would be happier if I could do all these things. And I realized that I trace it back to my early 20s when I was, you know, as many young women are, it was like a little chaotic. I was a little bit of a hot mess you know, so many balls in the air, didn't really know who I was. And I bought the narrative that if I found like a nice, stable husband and I became like a nice, you know, kind, submissive wife with like friends and children and a house that I kept and, and, you know, maybe a job, I would be happier. And so I was like, sign me up. I I mean, who doesn't want to be happy? And like, that's the recipe for happiness. Like I'm all in. And so, I mean, honestly, it's astounding to me now that like 15 years later, I mean, that's a long freaking time to be in a narrative that doesn't fit. I mean, five years ago is when it started to like crumble. And I just realized I'm like, oh, I'm not happy. And my 20 year old self knew this wouldn't make me happy. Like, and so why did I stop listening to her? Why did I start listening to this other story, these other people And so for me, what I started doing is I went back and I read all of my journals. I had kept them because I've always loved to write since I was in middle school. I read them all and I see myself in high school and in college. And then I read as I met my future husband, I wasn't convinced I should marry him. There was no like, he's the love of my life. I'm so happy. It was like, I don't think he's a guy for me. I think like this isn't a great fit. And then suddenly you turn the page and it's like, he proposed. I said, yes, I'm so happy. And I'm literally like, it's like a page away. <laughs> like, wait, what? And then there's another journal in my early years of marriage. And I'm like, who's this person writing? Was I body snatched by a Stepford wife who thought these journals might be read by someone? So she needed it to seem like everything was so great. 
Oh, Lauren, I t- I v- I'm vibing with this so hard right now. Yes. Well, and I think so many women do that. Even women who don't keep journals, you know, they're not writing it, but they're writing it with their lives and they're telling themselves. And, and so then when you're not happy, you're like, oh, I'm not doing it well enough. I'm not organized enough. I'm not, you know, a good enough wife. Like we're not having enough date nights, like as though that's the magic for happiness. So anyway, long-winded way of saying the turning point for me was actually in 2018, yeah, early 2018, I was at a school event for my kids. My littlest was one years old. So he's like still in the stroller. I'm pushing him around this family fun night. I mean, that to me is an ironic title. They're never fun. It's just like a chaotic moment where all these families and kids are screaming and yelling and talking. And I'm alone because, you know, problems with my marriage. My husband never came to any of that stuff. I'm pushing the stroller around. And I suddenly realized that I had no internal monologue. Mm. just quiet. I was just like a person with a baby, like pushing a baby around a chaotic playground. Yeah. And I was like, where did I go? Mm. So I got really interested in finding out where I went. And when I found myself, that woman, that girl who became a woman was like, help get me out. How did you start writing the book then? Because it seems like, like how, what was the timing of you went on this girl trip. You were kind of already feeling this certain way in your marriage. You're feeling a little bit alone. You realize you're unhappy. You're starting to realize like, I mean, I think in the beginning, you know, we all think it's the external things, mm-hmm. you know, like we all have, but it's really a, an invisible prison that we're putting ourselves in. Yes, absolutely. But it seems external. It seems like, well, shit, if I don't get married, everyone's going to say something. Right. If I don't have kids. Then who am I if I don't have kids or who am I if I live any alternative other than what's whatever everyone else is doing. Right. But then when it gets to the point where you make all the choices and you're in misery, your body starts betraying you. Your body's like, I'm just going to go coma comatose on you until you wake up and realize you have no internal dialogue. Thanks so much. A lot of times it's a physical thing. will force us right to be like, what is this? (laughs) Let's look at it. So at what point did you, how did the book coincide with this kind of realizing there's no internal monologue and you're feeling, you're basically feeling like a dead woman pushing a one-year-old at a fun night. Divorce for me, you know, my husband was not like a wife beater or an alcoholic or a cheater. So, so what I, right did you have? Right. What right did I have to want a divorce? So I, when I got curious about myself, I decided that the problem was I was creatively dead because I had stopped writing. So I was like, I need to write something. I need to write something. So that year was a journey of me actually thinking I was going to write a memoir, which is like for me, like chef's kiss interesting because I did write a memoir. I wrote a memoir of the future, but (laughs) I was going to write a memoir of the past. I knew it was like something about me that I'm looking for. So it was like exactly a year later, I'm on that beach trip and the book arrives. And the book I think is the answer to my subconscious. It was like, okay, you're not going to be like, I'm unhappy. I want a divorce without, you know, something helping you along. So I think my subconscious and God was like, here's a book. This is the answer because there was a moment after it came out and, you know, we'll, we'll get to that actually before it came out, after I sold it, where I was like, what's the point of this? Like, why did I write this book? This book has the potential to like be, and was a grenade in the center of my life that I threw down myself and then it blew up. And I was like, why did I do this? Who is this book for? And it was so clear. I mean, I heard like an audible voice that was like, oh, this book's for you. <laughs> you for anybody. You. You're trying to figure this out. Right. It's just you wrote a manual. Right. It's just like, just read it. So 
anyway, that's the journey. And then the book like completely undid me, but it also solved, I wasn't wrong. I was feeling creatively dead. It also lit me up creatively. So it did so many things. I'm so grateful for it. Uh, And you know, listen, creatively dead is an internal deadness, right? That creatively dead doesn't, you don't have to be a writer, right? That can be everything. That can be like, I can't even find the joy of going outside and looking at a flower. I can't find the joy in my child's face right now. Cause I feel just creatively dead. Like I just, I, that's a, that's so deeply internal. That's amazing that you even were able to access that. Your agent called you after she had taken your novel out on submission to publishers to tell you that editors were asking if you identified as gay. Did you freak the hell out Lauren? Like what in the world did you do? And is this like, how did this coincide with actually you coming out? Like, how did you, but what did you do when you got that phone call? And they were like, so are you gay? Yes, I freaked out. This was October, 2020. And by then I knew I was like, it, for me, the question by then was resolved because the sort of trajectory of this novel was I started writing it in probably right before I met you, you know, Suzanne's birthday is in the summer. So like I had started writing this novel and I was about halfway finished when the pandemic hit. And maybe like 60%. That for me was just, I realized my marriage was over and I needed out. It was like, there was nothing like being stuck in a house with the person that you're married to, to realize if you want to be married to them or not. So by the time I finished the book, I knew I was on a path toward divorce, but I wasn't there yet. I was still living in our old house and I was in my bedroom. I got the call and she asked me the question and I love a metaphor, but I was not aware of it at the time. I went into my closet for <laughs> Sat on the floor in my closet so no one would hear. So I'd have this conversation. I'm like, and I just closeted myself. Amazing. This is what I'm doing. You know, and she was great. She was like, if the answer is, you know, it's none of your business or the answer is you're straight, but this, you know, sexuality is fluid and you've written this, like, I'm happy to say that. And I felt my heart like beating in my chest. And I am a person, I've always been a person that like, I hate fear. I don't like cave to fear. So I was afraid. And I was like, well, if I'm afraid, then I have to say yes, because I'm afraid to say yes. So I'm like, yes, I identify. And then I was like, what's even the noun that I use? Like, or the adjective? Like, is it queer? Is it lesbian? Is it bi? Like, what is it? I was like, just tell them yes. Whatever the question is, like, yes, I identify as whatever that is. And I understood that that meant that between October 2020, if we sold the book, And the day that it came out, whenever that was, I would have to be in a position to own that. And so it created a ticking clock for me. And, you know, there were moments where I was like, why did I do this? Why did I create this ticking clock? But again, my subconscious knew that I needed one. And it like was almost my accountability partner to get to where I needed to be, to be authentic. And there were moments, you know, we sold the book to Putnam, you know, later that month in October. And they picked a pub date that was essentially 18 months later in, in April, 2022. And I knew I had 18 months. And there were moments along that journey where I was like, oh shit, like I'm not going to get there. I'm not even divorced yet. Like I haven't told my husband, like I haven't told my parents, I haven't told my kids, like, you know, I don't even know what I'm doing. And what was so remarkable is I didn't even notice like that I checked all those boxes along the way. And the night that my book, you know, book party happened at my house, you know, like 75 people in my backyard, I'm standing up on a podium with a microphone, like acknowledging, like I didn't come out in that moment. I was already out. 
And they were all there and they all knew it. And it was like, here I am supporting this book as a woman who now identifies as queer at 42. And it was just kind of beautiful. I was like, oh, I got there. The journey occurred and here I am. And it was scary and terrifying, but also exhilarating. And like, here I am and it's all done. Like there's no scary things. And that, I mean, there's plenty of scary things, but like my sexuality is no longer a scary thing that I'm dealing with. So. Well, I mean, from reading the book, I would say it felt scarier to not be the person that you were. I mean, that's the beauty of this book. I love the friendship between these two women because at first it starts out as just two women who really like each other, who are really like understand each other, kind of admire each other for certain things that each of them have, and also are so loving to each other, like understanding, like they're both in kind of these marriages that's on the outside, looking great on the outside. Why can't you just like make this work? Like, are you insane? This looks great. Like take what it is, right? And every reason to not blow it up, frankly, except the most important one, right? Which is inside you're screaming. Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I've people, you know, I've spoken so much about this book, but you phrasing it that way, you know, absolutely right. They just really liked each other. And I think the key to their relationship is that they were not competing. And, you know, for people who haven't read it, they start off as colleagues, Jane, the older woman who's, you know, Merritt is the protagonist and the love interest or best friend is Jane. There's an age difference between them. Jane is the boss at work. So Merritt's not competing with Jane and Jane doesn't have children. You know, Jane's not in her, you know, life circle. She's sympathetic. She sees that you're coming in like half dead from your children and she's nothing but sympathetic and actually like a mentor in so many ways, like trying to help you in your career, trying to give you opportunity. I love that relationship. And I wish with women that we had more of that. I think sometimes in mom circles, there's this inherent competitiveness. And so it's hard to connect because it's like, you don't want to reveal how you're failing. Or there's a scene in the novel where Merritt's like, I didn't enjoy my kid's birthday party. I felt like, you know, I didn't belong there essentially. You don't want to tell like a mom friend that she's going to be like, do you have like postpartum? Do you need to like see a therapist or, you know, instead of being like, yeah, I can imagine how hard that would be. I get it. And then they moved on and made jokes and like continued working. And I think for me, relationships at work really did that same thing for me. And it was really a model for this. You know, I have older women friends who mentor me in the same way. And that for me was the key to this book. It's like they actually can like each other and be there for each other because all the other garbage of competition is not there. Yeah. I think what's also interesting is you made this choice, right? You chose to make, take the path of resistance, not least resistance, but of resistance. Follow your inner dialogue and your inner voice and your inner knowing, which is so amazing. So you did it and everybody saw it. There's other people who are over there quietly suffering, not doing what you're doing. You know, as a mom of a kid that was born differently with a different arm, when Lana was born, I remember thinking, great. Like I can't even pretend Mm -hmm. That I'm like over here momming it perfect because like this is inherently a physical thing. Everybody knows my kid just was in the hospital for 52 days struggling for his life and is coming home with this arm that was literally scarred up and bloody from multiple surgeries. I could not pretend that motherhood was dreamy and fantastic. And I now look back on that and say, what a gift. Mm-hmm. I've never once had to go around and be like, isn't this so nice? And believe me, I tried to kind of swing it in some directions and be like, no, 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 it's not that bad guys, you know, but 
it's kind of nice when all the cards are on the table and everybody knows, well, this is the game I'm playing because people feel free to come and say whatever the hell they want to me. Because guess what? They're like, she has been through it all. She has seen it all. And she has zero judgment on any of it. So I am like the safest person that somebody could possibly know to just be like, my shit is blowing up. I'm like, oh girl, let's talk about it. Like I am all, I'm here for this because I've had it happen and we all have had it happen. So why do we have to walk around with the white knuckles pretending it's not? And it's funny for me, I'm a little... I get a little nervous about being some sort of like guru for later in life lesbianism or leaving a perfectly fine marriage or, you know, blowing your life up. But women have come to me. I mean, strangers, email, DMs being like, this resonated so much. Like, how did you do it? Can you do it? And, you know, I'm sort of wrestling with like, I don't, I'm not giving you like a how-to novel (laughs) on how to like blow up your life, but there are women out there that are looking for permission, I think. And that's the thing. It's like permission for authenticity. And yes, I mean, you ha- you're giving people permission to be authentic. I feel like I am too now with this novel and the way that I sort of engage on social media and stuff. I, I went through at one point and deleted any photo from my feed that was not authentic. And that was most of the selfies with my husband and our kids. Because my family, we can take a selfie that we look so happy. We're all great at fading happiness. I don't, we're not even trying. It's just like, oh, look how great we look in the selfie. I'm like, oh, we were screaming at each other and no one was getting along and it was a terrible day. And I'm letting people think I'm like living my best life with this perfect family. So yeah, I totally relate to that. And the thing to me that kind of pushes me forward is that reward. Like authenticity is its own reward. When you're authentic and someone comes and shares their truth with you, there's a feeling of like, this is what life is about. You know, this is magical and exciting and like lights me up. I was dead doing the other thing. Uh huh. This thing, people's honesty and sharing our truths, even when they're messy and broken and all that shit, like it just feels alive. And that to me is now what I'm looking for. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, interesting when you say blow up your life, a lot of people say that, right? Like, oh, I I blew up my life or I whatever. And I always think that's, it's the death of that other woman. Yes. I had a a woman tell me, Oh my God, I felt like I wanted to commit suicide. I said, Oh, you did. You know why? Because you wanted that other woman to die. You're done with this woman, this woman, you can't even be her anymore. You're not physically able to just walk around and pretend you're this woman any longer. You were walking dead. So to me, like you actually found your life. Totally. Well, and the death thing. You didn't necessarily blow it up. You just were like, that identity is gone. I realize that's a false identity and a narrative I was playing around with and because I thought that would do something. And now I realize, oh, this is really who I am. This is my real life. Absolutely. I mean, I actually wrote a piece for Vogue on this very thing. I mean, I in 2019, I had a premonition that I was going to die. I mean, I told people about it. I'm like, I'm gonna die this year. And this was before I realized, you know, before I met you, the book hadn't come to me yet. It's early 2019. And I had one friend be like, oh, it's a metaphorical death. And I was like, ha, ah, that's hilarious. But no, like I have cancer. I just don't know yet. Like I'm, I feel it. By January 31st of 2019, oh, I was dead. Oh, that person died. And I, it's crazy to me. And I had a fear of death. It was like a whole death thing. And then I died. And now I'm alive again. And, you know, pick out the paddles and you revived yourself into a new person. Totally. And now I'm like living the life I was supposed to live. And it's not like, a, you know, a perfectly unmessy story. It's like real messy. 
but it's the true story. And I just like, I'm a person who wants to live a true story. I don't know that everyone is, but like I am. And I know you are not the, uh, the, the, the guidebook, the champ, the champion, the coach for all women doing things, but you changed your identity in midlife. And a lot of women want to do that. A lot of women do do that. So looking back on it now, if you had to do anything differently, or if you had to give advice, you know, like if you could get back in the time machine and and you're at the beginning of this journey again, what would you tell yourself or what would you tell other women? I would say, I mean, for me, it was committing to the idea of my life as a story. And as a writer, I understand that the best stories have a ton of conflict, complexity, flawed characters, you know, all of those things is what makes great television, great books, all that. I was trying to live a life without any of that. I was trying to live a life where like I was diminishing the complexity. I was simplifying. I was trying to avoid conflict. And the moment that I was like, oh, that's not even interesting. Like I wouldn't even want to read that book. (laughs) And I have to come back to that often because things have gotten a lot of conflict and a lot of complexity and honestly, like a lot of sadness and loss and loneliness. And so when I start to panic and be like, what have I done? I realize like, oh, I'm just in a good story. I'm just in a really good story and stories move forward. You know, they don't stagnate. So like, yeah, I feel like alone and lost and like WTF, but like, (laughs) this is a moment it will pass just like the other moments previously have passed. So I'd say if you're going to do that, like commit to the, the sort of like interestingness and complexity and struggle of your story and own it and like find pleasure in it. You know, you've got to, you've got to get out of the old tape where like when things are going well, you're succeeding. I'm now like when things are not going well, it's really interesting. And like, I'm going to pay attention to that. So I guess that'd be my best advice. Yeah. And you know, growth is uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> like, like I don't know why we think it's like not like you're out of your comfort zone. If we were all in our comfort zone, you'd still be married. You'd be like hanging out in your house, you know, even though, because I think the myth of the comfort zone is that it's good. Right. It means it's good. Just because you're in a comfort zone, you could be in a comfort zone. And it can be hell, but it's what you're used to. It's familiar. The minute we start going out of that comfort zone, out, out into that zone of the unfamiliar, that's when the shit gets real crazy. That's oh. when everything starts and your body and your mind and everyone's like, what are you doing? Oh my God, you can't. No, 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 no. But on the other side of that is the juice. Totally. That's where it all is, right? So that's what you experienced exactly, right? Like you were in your comfort zone, which was not fun. You basically burned the boats, as Tony Robbins says. You literally burned, there was no other way off the island. You were like, you know what? I'm just gonna burn all these boats so I have no way off the island and there's nothing else I can do except to be like, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Hi, everyone. So you literally burn the boats and then, you know, out of the growth is uncomfortable and into a whole nother uncomfortable, which is because now you're in a a whole new growth zone. Totally. Well, and, you know, like I said, I love a metaphor. And the one that comes back to me in these moments is I think about like numbness, you know, when you're numb from the cold, there's no feeling. And when you start to warm up, you put like lukewarm water, it's excruciating and your hands like. I don't want to be in that. That's really painful, but you're about to have like frostbite and lose your fingers if you don't warm it up. So it's like, it's really painful to, to unnumb, to defrost. And then, but then once you do, you have sensation back, which is healthier and better for the hand, but also 
when you touch a hot thing, you're now going to feel the burn as opposed to when you have a numb frostbite in hand, it's dead tissue. So you don't feel the burn. So anyway, this metaphor helps baller analogy that I will be using and giving you full credit for, but that's a great analogy because you're right. When you're coming out of that kind of numbed place, the place where you've tried to push down every single emotion, not think about all the things that you know are true, not face the truths of anything. When you are coming out of that, it can feel physically painful. Excruciating. Yeah. It feels wrong in a moment. You're like, no, 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 this doesn't feel right. This feels painful. But you're right. What's the alternative? You're going to have your fingers turn black and fall off? Right. Dead. Dead. I love that. That's such a great analogy, Lauren. I'm going to live. I'm going to really ponder that. You say your faith in God got you through leaving your marriage and coming out as gay. I'm sure people right now are like, what? Read that again. Your faith in God got you through leaving your marriage and coming out as gay. Can you tell me more about that? I'm a Christian. I, in my view, God loves everybody. So when somebody is trying to tell me that God doesn't love this person or God wants to not let somebody do something. I'm very like, I don't know which God you're talking about because that does not sound like the same guy I know. Well, it's funny. People on both sides struggle with it. You know, other Christians, absolutely. They not only are like, what? They also then tell me, well, then you don't actually have a relationship with like the true God because the true God would not accept this. So then you're like, okay, so you're the authority on God, but like, I'm, I'm no longer the authority because like what I feel God is telling me can no longer be true. Cause you say it can't. Um, but then of course, people on the other side, my, you know, progressive non-Christian friends are sort of like, why are you roping God into the story of yours? Because it's like the church is bad. You know, the right is bad. Evangelicalism is like the problem right now. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. So I'm in this, you know, tricky place, which I'm, I wrestle with it constantly that what's true for me is absolutely God has been the thing that has gotten me through. And it's not so much a sense that God's like, Lauren, here's what you need to do. You need to write like a racy, sweary novel, then (laughs) get divorced, date women, you know, get too drunk often and like move into a new house and force your kids to like shuffle between it. No. What I've experienced is a sense that God, uh, that I belong to God, you know, that I, that that is where my home is. I belong to God and that he is very interested in my true story and that the Bible and the history of humanity is laced with true and complicated, morally fraught stories. And I think the problem is what the church does is they take those stories and they make them like Aesop's fables as like, here's a lesson on what not to do. What if it's a lesson on what to do? You know, I mean, it's like all these stories in the Old Testament, New Testament of really, you know, fractured, complex, broken people. It's never like, and then they suffered because they committed a sin. It's literally like Pharisees Jesus wanted nothing to do with, like prostitutes and tax collectors he wanted to bring to dinner. So, like, I just feel like the church has so warped, uh, like you're saying, the message of what of acceptance. And I mean, I have love wins uh, in a neon sign on my wall. I mean, I think that that's the story of Christianity. I think that's the story of humanity. And so, like, I just want to be a part of that story. And like, that's my life is far more oriented towards love and acceptance and bringing people to the table than it ever was when I was in my like white picket fence life. That's like very much like I got to hold it together and I got to present the picture. Now I'm like, we're all broken. Come to the table. Like, what's your story? You belong, you know? So. 
so ironic that white picket fence, it may have holes in it, but boy, does it hold a lot of people in. Oh my gosh, it is a cage. You're in a you're in a freaking cage. Like that, you're you're really making me think about that too. And to me, Christianity or being a Christian means you're a love spreading difference maker. That's like really like you're Gosh, challenged love to love people maybe that you would not want to love. That's the challenge, right? Like, can I love somebody who thinks totally different than me? Can I have compassion for somebody who's done something seemingly awful? Like that to me is Christianity. And I'm so confused by this other version um, and that's mixing politics together and that's, you know, ordaining presidents. Like I, I, that's not, a, I don't understand that. God to me is not ordaining and, and anointing presidents. Like this is not happening. So I, this is like very confusing to me what, what people are really calling Christianity. And I think it's also turning a lot of people off, frankly, like the people who are coming up, the younger people, they are not going to have this kind of Christianity in their lives. That's just, it's, it's going to do the exact opposite of what Christians actually want it to do, which is to Christianize, Christianityize the whole world, evangelize, right? They're actually, I feel like turning so many people off. Well, and I mean, I 100% agree. And I do feel really compelled and I'm still, you know, fumbling through it and trying to figure it out to own my faith. Because I think what people don't like about God is actually what people don't like about right-wing Christians. And it's like, it's not the same thing. It's like, I have people saying like, God, why would God hate gay people? I'm like, God doesn't. I mean, like Mike Pence, like I, not God, you know? And so I feel like I'm going to fly on Mike Pence's head. That's how great God is. Totally. Absolutely. So like, this is where I feel really called to sort of like stay in that tension to as hard as it is. And as like morally complex it is for me to be like, I'm living like a really unconventional life. And I love Jesus. Hey guys, like come over to my house for a party and there'll be tequila. Like it's a, it's, it's complex, but like, I want to stay in it. I don't want to make it neat and be like, oh, I'm gay now. So like I identify as a universalist Unitarian who believes in like nothing specific, no, no, like comment on other people's faith. But like, I have a faith tradition that has nothing to do with the, the, choice like it's not affected by the way the trajectory of my life because if it was and like what is it really if it was going to change when I change like I really resonate with the fact that like my faith is a through line and no matter what I do who I become what my life does like there's a specificity to my faith that I can hold even if my life is like you know off the chain like I just so anyway for me that the complexity is really interesting Oh, your life seems perfect to me. Um, where are you in your life now and what's next for you? I am waiting for my life to stop feeling like it's in transition. Quite frankly, I could use some like, and now we're in a new phase that's like calm. Um, it's like transition <laughs> after transition. Um, you know, you mentioned I have a day job. I work in television. I do business affairs at, um, for an entertainment company that a few weeks ago announced that they're winding down. So I am considering what's next for me in that professional part of my life as I'm working on a new novel. Um, So it's just like, I still don't know what the next phase of my life looks like. I continue to be in transition. And part of me is like, maybe the rest of your life is one big transition. Maybe it never resolves. (laughs) Um, So that's what's going on. Working on a new book, figuring out what I want for the next, you know, phase. Cause maybe I lean into 
the day job more, you know, it's like they're, they're That's women. What I think. Yeah, exactly. In entertainment and powerful positions, like I'm ready for women. the second book. I need a sequel. <laughs> I want to see what happens to them. Happens. People are like, I want to know what happens in the five years between the last chapter and the epilogue from Jane's perspective. I'm like, Oh, oh my God. It would be so fun if you wrote the whole book from her perspective. Holy that's shit. True. I would love that. So maybe, oh, man, that would be juicy juice. Oh, I love that idea. I just got the chills. Do it, please. Just sell it. Just it for you. You know what you just give it to me. <laughs> Do it for you. It's like a private, yeah. This is a private book just for me. It's time for the speed round, Lauren. It's party time. Ready. Okay. Lauren's so cute because she was like, how fast do you want me to be in the speed round? <laughs> and I was like, you don't have to be fast. I just call it the speed round. I, I make it sound like it's like the family feud, but it really is just me and you hanging out. It's nothing. Um, what does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? Okay. So I am a warrior woman because I do not let fear stop me. And I recognize that fear is actually my greatest enemy. Mm, I think fear is your blueprint. Tells you exactly where to go next. You're right. Absolutely. Fear and certainty. If I'm certain that I'm never going to do something, it's a hundred percent sure that I'm going to do that thing. So now I just, when I'm like, oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm like, mm, that's what I'm doing next. Just <laughs> I'll own it now. Get ahead, it, get ahead of it. Thanks so much. Thanks for telling me. Um, what is a mantra or quote you live by? I think it's probably, it's like super simple, but I think it's probably love wins. Mm. Um, growing up, my parents, my dad in particular always said the good always wins. And it was when I was afraid in movies or stories when like the bad guy would come, he was like, don't worry. Good always wins. That was before indie movies came and the good doesn't win in an indie. No. But back in the studio world, the good always wins. But I believe that about the world and the like trajectory of the universe. I think love wins. I think good wins. So like when I lose heart, I just remember story continues. Yeah. I remember, I don't know when in the pandemic and the Trump election and all the things, I was literally like, oh my God, like what is happening in this world? And somebody did like an analogy that really were such a young nation. We're really young, you know, like if you go to Europe, you're like, what are these buildings? They've been here since when? Like you just can't, I walk around, things have stucco. Like, I mean, you know, it's a different experience. So we're young, we're young as a nation. And so that we are really being birthed still. Oh, absolutely. Really coming through that vaginal canal. We are, we are dilating. We are having, yeah. and we're in a dark ass place. Right. And so I think that knowing that, that what comes out of that, the most beautiful things, right? A baby comes out, a birth, a, a transition, right? So, and again, like we said in the beginning, growth is uncomfortable. We're going through such growth right now, right? We're trying to figure out who are we as a nation? What do we believe? Like, can we let other people who don't think the, you know, do, is, is Christian the only way? Is, is there, are other people allowed, to, people of different colors allowed to be president? I mean, like, we're really like, all the things right now, right? You know, like what, what are, is a woman equal to a man? Like, let's really think about that. Like, what does that actually mean? So I think now it's really, it's an interesting time. I think my daughter who's 13 is like, like when we were in Italy, she was like, I am not going back to the United States. Militant. Like I, why would I go there? I have no rights. You know, she, she's so angry and I get that. Like, I can't even imagine being 13 and thinking, how is my life going to be controlled like this? This is crazy. I, you guys told me I have all this possibility, you know? So, but I do think we're in this uncomfortable growth stage. So, and that's, and I know great things, love wins that comes out of that. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think the, the thing that I think young women or, you know, queer women, queer men, minorities, like people of color are feeling is sort of like we live in a country that has not yet accepted that diversity and difference is power and magic. And so we're still in this like homogenous, let's, let's get rid of difference. And even like the MAGA stuff it make America great again. It's like the sense that we're like, there is a one sense of what America is supposed to be. And like, as long as we all kind of blend and meld into this, like assumed Rachel Cargill, who I adore and oh, follow, yeah, she's so I went to a retreat with her. She talks a lot about monoculture and this idea that we get these monocultural ideas that we just accept to be true because like culture tells us that like, for example, like you should only marry one person in your life. You know, I mean, that's a, it may be true or not true, but it is a monocultural idea. It's just like put down, we're supposed to accept it. And I'm hopeful in our country will come to believe that diversity and difference and the lack of sameness is what makes us great and strong and like able to withstand. And I think we're just not there yet, you know, which is why young women don't want to live here. Why queer people are like scared that we're going to not have any rights anymore. I mean, as opposed to like, how does queerness contribute to society? What is the way that you live and think? Like, what can I learn from that? Do they not like all the television and art and the fun things? I, mean, I know, exactly. I can't even imagine how bad life would be without right. gay people. Without, yeah, without gay people. Like I, we would literally have nothing. So I, I can't even imagine. Um, what makes you feel unstoppable? You know, that's such a great question. And I, I, there are a few things that come to mind, but I think it's simple again, but I think creatively solving a problem, I get like a juice from that. It's like, this was a problem and I solved it and it was out of the box. And I'm like, give me the next one. Let's do it. You know, so I think that creative problem solving. I love that. What are you most proud of? To go to the mom answer, I think actually my kids and I struggle a lot with my parenting because I, by society standards, I think I'm like not a great parent, that narrative, uh, the, just the way I choose to parent. But lately I've been thinking a lot about my kids and how I notice in them, there is no performance when they're with me, they are their, their truest selves and they're messy. My kids are hard and loud and I don't have an introvert among them and they're sassy and talk back and all that stuff, but they're real. And I'm like, you know what? I am raising people who are living authentically. And I got to, I mean, that could change at any moment. You know, people start performing, kids start performing in high school or college and they start playing the role. But I'm like right now, for now, I am relishing the fact that my kids are themselves and I'm proud of that. Well, you're breaking generational trauma is what you're doing. Yes. And I hope so. Showing the kids that sometimes you have to make uncomfortable decisions and decisions where you may not be liked and you may not, people not may not agree or think you are doing the right thing, but if you know you're doing the right thing, right, then you, yeah. that's the right thing. So you're, you're basically showing them how to be true to themselves. Right. Yeah. I hope so. Oh God. How could they not? Please. You are a hundred percent showing them that in the way you're living in your writing and all the things. So there, there's no way they're not going to get that message. No way. Um, what keeps you going when you're feeling lost? I told you, I added this question because 
I think a lot of people feel lost, you know, from time to time and feel really down about whether it's what's going on in the world or the the politics or just, you know, <laughs> feeling like their marriage or their kids or or whatever it is, you know. So what what keeps you going when you're feeling lost? You know, I think that goes back to the story element, to remembering that I'm in a story and that it's always moving forward, even when it feels stagnant. Mm. But I think, you know, there's there's two moments when you feel lost. One is when you do like you make bold, decisive choices like I did and you have this clarity of what you're supposed to do and then you do it and you get to the other side of it and you're like, this is this is all it is. I'm alone in my house, alone in my house. Like that's what I wanted. So, you know, in, in those moments of feeling lost, I'm like, oh, wait, this is just a moment. There's more coming. And I got to commit to see the story through. You know, I think there are other women out there who probably feel lost because they're not in their true story. Yeah. And so I think pay attention to that. That'd be my advice. Pay attention when you feel lost. Either it's time to commit to the story you're in and to remember why you're in it, if it's a true story, and like commit to even the dark moments. They're part of it and they're going to be used for the journey and stay in it, stay in the pain, stay in that lost feeling, or pay attention and think, am I not in a true story? And if you're not in a true story, it's not your most authentic story, then that feeling of lost is a clue, you know, so pay attention and go the other direction. So I think it's about knowing, you know, your inner knowing, as you said. Yeah. The inner knowing, you know, it's funny. I feel like when people tell me they feel lost, like as a coach, I want to say, well, that's because you left yourself. Mm. Yes. How else do you feel lost? If you leave yourself, like that just brings me to tears thinking about it. That's why we feel lost is because we left ourselves. Either we're numbing it out or we're like, this can't be happening. Or we're feeling like, you know, I can't, I can't possibly be living this life. Like this can't be happening right now. And we deny it and we push it away and we, or we, you know, just judge the shit out of it. Right. Like, oh my God, this is going to be, this is horrible. What's happening to me. And, and we want to leave ourselves. We don't want to stay in it. Like you're saying, we want to hot potato kind of the pain out of it. Like we don't want to, you know, like get the, get this out of my lap. Let me go have a glass of wine. Let me go wine 30. Like, you know, all the things right. That we do to distract ourselves. But my God, like, that's what it is sometimes is that like we've left ourselves. Well, and you know, I mean, that, that brings me to tears too, even thinking of my own life, you know, I, I think those moments when I feel lost now because things didn't immediately, like I'm not living my like best gay life with my like wife, you know, yet that I, I start to feel lost and it, it's me leaving myself too, because it's like, I'm going back to that old tape. I'm like, I feel lost because I'm like, Oh wait, I don't have a husband. Oh wait, I don't have like it all together. And I don't, my kids aren't with me all the time. And you know, all these things that are supposed to make me happy. I'm suddenly like, And then it's like, no, wait, I'm a person who I knew what I was getting into. I knew this was on the other side of it. I knew what the stakes were. And I was like, giddy up. And I just need to remember, like, that's who I am. And like, I can do this really well. I can do aloneness really well. I mean, it's great fodder for writing, you know. (laughs) In fact, it's it's great also for you to actually write. Because as you know, when you have 17 things going on, you know, we already want to distract ourselves away from writing, but, but now it's just like, hi, here I am in my house. Right. Plenty. Now I could do the laundry, make something to eat, get another snack for the 10th time, or I could glue my ass down to this chair and do the thing. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. What is exciting you the most right now? 
probably this, this, I mean, the career stuff, the possibility that like, there's something ahead that's going to be new and challenging. And the, the novel that I'm working on now is sort of thriller adjacent. It's suspenseful. It's from multiple points of view. It's a little darker. I haven't done anything like that before. So they're both challenging and like the fear kicks in and I'm like, oh wait, remember who I am. I kick fear's ass. Like I'm not scared of it. I like being challenged. So I think the fact that there's newness and a challenge in both professional arenas in my life is exciting. That's so cool. I'm well now. I'm like seriously your biggest fan. I have to go back and read all the 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 young. Maybe let your daughter do it, and she can report in. I mean, okay, I can have her do. She is an avid reader, by the way. So I I will have her do that and report in. Um, but I'm so excited because now I'm like your biggest fan, and I have to read. I have to read everything. I'm so monogamous with my writers. I'm like a lunatic. Like Danny Shapiro, is there a book I haven't read of hers? Did we talk about this? We did. We talked about this when we were hiking. She is my person. And if she puts out, like, I love dog food, here's eight ways to love dog food, I'd be like, oh my God, I have to read this. What is this about the dog food? And she has a novel coming out in October. She hasn't written a novel in a while. And when she I does? she does, it's called Signal Fires. I, I, this is where I'm going to like sound smug. And if Danny were to ever listen to this episode, <laughs> I think you are. But I went to a retreat with her when I was workshopping this book. She really shaped it. She's part of the reason that it got as like, graphic as it gets. I mean, that's a weird word, but I like, I did not know that she was like, you got to go there. If you're going to take the right readers on this journey, you can't be like, and then they disappeared behind the bedroom door. You know, she's like, you gotta, you gotta like pay it off there. So that kind of, again, talking about permission, she gave me permission to go there. But I said to her at that retreat, people were like, what are you writing next? She's written five memoirs and I think three novels. And, um, I was like, I think you're going to write fiction next. And she's like, I don't think I'll ever write fiction again. She's like, I just, because her husband had cancer, you know, she's like, I think I have another memoir in me. And I, I remember feeling so disappointed because I was like, I had a sense, I had a sense you were going to write a novel. She wrote a novel next, you guys. I was right. Uh, She predicted it. Laura predicted it. I predicted it. So anyway, it comes out in October, Signal Fires. I will be like, I will be the first first one. Well, the first book, the first book that you should read even before that, that is coming out. When's that coming out? It comes out October, I think. Okay, this one's coming out October too. I just had her on my podcast. Ejaculate responsibly, a whole new way to look at abortion. Oh my gosh, love. It's my freaking favorite thing of all time. I had this one. You would love this one. You got to listen to this pod. It just came out. It's last week. absolutely will. You will die. She's so smart. She's a mom of six. She's design mom on Instagram. Oh my gosh, love her. Love Love her. her. She does the alt summit and all the things. It started out as like a Twitter thread that people were like all into. And she just decided she would write this book. And it's like a little book, but it's brilliant. Oh my gosh, I it's can't wait. brilliant. The ideas are brilliant. So I had a whole conversation, but anyway, so we'll get that one in this one. I've already pre-ordered that one. I'll pre-order fall. that one. Yeah, exactly. This is her fall reading. Yeah. But that's really cool that she inspired you to do that. Cause honestly, there was, when I was getting to the point in the book where I knew something was going to happen between these two, I was, I literally thought, I, and I always get to this point in books, right? Like, like something will happen and I'm like, oh, are they going to like go there with this? Or are they just going to kind of like be like, and the next day we woke up, you right. know, and, and you created such nice tension because like they're by the pool and the guys around and like all this is, and I'm like, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh my God, it's not going to happen. Or like one's shutting down and feeling like they can't do it. And the other one's like, I don't think it's a good idea. And I'm like, oh my God, come on. And oh, no, they built this amazing tension. So I was really wondering. I was like, are, is this gonna like really go down? Or are we just gonna like 
are we going to dive out right now? Are we not going to go there? And so I was really happy you did. So yay you and yay Danny for telling you and giving you. Yeah. <laughs> now I love her even more. I know. She's so lovable. She's the best. She's the best. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been a delight with a capital D. I love every part of our conversation. Every time I do a podcast, it's so funny. I always know the ones that are like, I that I'm already pulling quotes from in my mind. I'm like, when I do all my little audio clips, there's like 75. And Jason, who is the editor of this podcast, will literally say like on, on the last one with ejaculate responsibly, she's like, he's like, there's so many. I don't even know what we're going to choose. It's like, it feels daunting almost. And I'm like, I know, because it's incredible. He's going to say the same damn thing about this podcast because yeah. you just had so many gold, gold nuggets. Well, and I'm sure I'm not the only guest that you've had on the podcast who ends up feeling like I just got a free coaching session. I mean, <laughs> much that you give back and say that I'm like, yes, I needed to hear that. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for giving me a free session here just for being on your podcast. Oh, you're awesome. You're awesome to say that. Well, I guess I can't help it. It just is sort of <laughs> you know, that's the thing too, like work and life blends together if you love your work, right? Like it just sort of comes together and you are at such a great space where I can have this type of conversation with you. I can't have this type of conversation with every single person to be honest because some people are ready to listen to these things but you've already done so much work to get where you are you know you're not at the beginning you know you're not you're like so far down the line now now it's just like letting yourself have the juice right letting yourself accept the juice because and and looking back at the evidence and saying I did that let's not forget like don't ever go to sleep on the fact that what you did like what you actually accomplished because that is the thing right I always say the 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 top of your mountain is the bottom of your next. Mm-hmm. That's like the you're truest. Thing. Thank you. Thanks but for this. It is really true yeah. because you got to the top of the mountain and now you're at the bottom of the next. And sometimes we look up and we go, oh, fuck, it's another mountain. God, how did I get to this other mountain? I thought I already got to the top. But that's actually the good news because right. probably years ago, you didn't even think that mountain was there. Right. Now you're like, yeah, I'm on this other thing, right? In my thriller, just going up with my with my pack, whatever those things are called when you mountain climb. I don't know because I don't do it, but you know, in my scenario. Yeah. So you're on another mountain. It's so exciting. Totally. And remembering that like is the thing that keeps you going. Like it is exciting. It's new. It's different. It's hard. It's interesting. Like, do I want the other thing? I don't, you don't, we don't. Some women do and that's fine, but like those aren't my people and that's not my story. And like, so I, I just have to continuing finding my tribe find reconnecting to my story, realizing that I don't know where the F it's going, you know, like with this book, I'm like, I just have to channel it. Like I can't control it. And I have to relearn that all the time. I think we all do, but anyway, this has been amazing. hundred percent. This has been amazing. And thank you for coming on. And by the way, no one knows where their story is going. And that's true of your book and in life. Great. We can just let that go right now. We don't even have to know anymore. Hooray. We all can let it go. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is Liz Swadek, Conversations with Warrior Women. And remember, everyone has a story. You just need to ask them. Bye. Bye.